This is Exponent Philanthropy's catalytic podcast, Conversations with Leaders at Small Foundations. Meet some of the most creative, resourceful, and risk-taking foundation people in the country. Part two of our podcast with Henry Rael of the McCune Foundation, Henry continues the story about how the foundation catalyzed a platform for foundations in and outside New Mexico to invest in smaller Native American-led organizations in New Mexico in ways determined by the communities themselves. This is groundbreaking work that will build capacity in Native American communities long underserved by foundations and donors. When we were trying to figure out with this pooled money, you know, where is the highest leverage opportunity for us as funders? And that was what we sort of uh, focused on was the federal dollars. And, you know, traditionally in New Mexico, we generally have not done a great job of unlocking federal dollars to get uh, especially to those sort of community scale um, pieces of work that are happening. So that was there was a, a, a bit of a determination, I think, on the part of local funders to say, hey, how can we do this? So um, what, one thing that we learned through the process was that not every Native-led group wants to access federal dollars. So that was, that was very important for us, I think, to sort of recognize and realize that it's not really our place to sort of tell native groups that they need to go after federal dollars. So that was, that was, you know, an initial piece, but for those that do, um, that is our goal. So I think the, as I said, we are just in the earliest stages, the grants have been made. We've just convened at the end of March, we convened the leaders for the first time. We're still in this process, but, um, our goal is is really to see how many um, of these groups do in fact want to pursue federal opportunities. And then from those, what are the paths that we identify for that money to flow? So, you know, you asked those questions about, are they going to apply themselves? Will it be through an intermediary? Um, we don't know. You know, we really, we think it'll be different for each group. You know, there's certain groups that will that operate and maybe have um, a really a close relationship with the tribe. Um, and so the tribe can be the mechanism to apply for those funds. There's other groups that maybe don't have as cohesive a relationship with the tribe and maybe they'll work through a tribal institution. Maybe they'll work through a county government. So honestly, that is part of our discovery process is to, is to really understand what are those mechanisms. We don't know, they're not clear. Um, we wanna discover and we want to see which ones actually work and to see what we can learn for future, you know, for future reference. Because the real opportunity here for, in our minds was the fact that while this is happening, we also have hundreds of millions of dollars of federal money that's coming into the state. Um, these smaller native-led organizations with limited capacity, some of them are even like mutual aid type organizations that may not even have a 501c3 status. Um, 
do not have the capacities to apply for a federal grant to sort of even under, to find identify which pieces of money are make the most sense for them. How do you report on this? You know, lots of capacity challenges in terms of really being even to take that money and do something with it. So Pivotal New Mexico is going to work with each of our grantees to identify the specific federal dollars that are applicable to the work that they're doing and sort of chart out for them what is the path of least resistance for that money to get to their work. Um, we have another nonprofit called 501 CPA, which, as it sounds like, <laughs> works with nonprofits on their finances. Um, and so 501 CPA will work with each of these groups to look at their systems and make recommendations about what they need to do to enhance their systems so that they are capable of doing the kind of reporting they might need to do. Um, so those, those are those kinds of supports we're providing. But the other piece around training, um, other sorts of capacity building, we partnered with a native woman-led consulting firm here in New Mexico called Rowan Horse Consulting. And essentially have worked with them, you know, with the commitment that all of the programming, all of the capacity building supports need to be designed uh, from a Native American perspective. So um, it's, it's, it's an interesting experiment because we are just moving into that piece now where we have made the grants, the initial $25,000 grants. Um, we convened the grantees, not on the first day of the legislature, <laughs> um, and shared with them, you know, all of the supports that we're going to be providing and are now in the process of recruiting those leaders that are going to participate in the network. And so then the leaders of the network that in that are in the network will work together with Rowan Horse Consulting to develop and co-develop the program for the capacity building network. So this is all about, again, coming at this from the perspective that the folks who really know the most about what their needs are, what their capacities are, and where development is needed are these leaders themselves. Um, and in terms of like how those services should be provided, um, that needs to be designed by um, indigenous people. So that for us is, is, is another really exciting piece of this work um, is the development of that program. And um, just to see how we as funders can really support without leading in that way. Well, I think that's that's the the core value for definitely our work at McCune as a foundation is is the centering of community voice and sort of the recognition that you aren't really changing anything unless you change who's making the decisions. You know, and so I, I, I can say that I feel that all of the partners, all of the foundation partners um, coming into this because it was sort of a cost, the, the price of admission <laughs> to participate in this was, to, was, was, was that willingness, that willingness to, to step back, to um, recognize the value of community voice, whatever the community is, but in this case, um, indigenous community, um, you know, uh, we there was just such an interesting conversation. There's been so many great conversations that have came out of these tables. And like, there was like one, one I remember this one conversation where we were talking about this and, and the, a person said, you know, I'm really interested in the word recovery 
that we have in the name of this fund, the Native American Recovery Fund. What do we mean by that? Because if you look at where tribes were before the pandemic, we were not in a great place. We were, st we were still working to overcome disinvestment, underinvestment, and colonization. So are we working through this to try to recover back to that? <laughs> and we all sort of nodded and sort of scratched our heads like, well, no, that's not what we want. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, we chose the word recovery because it seemed like it made sense in a pandemic. But this sort of like recognition that the community, every word means something different because of their context, because of their history, because of their experience. And if, you, if, if we as funders cannot come into it with humility, you know, even on the level of a word like that, then we're just continuing to make the same mistakes. So I, I, think, I think that that, um, that 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 has just been a key piece. And I, I, I think that that's a piece that I bring is, is, is that sense of humility. Um, but I really give all of our participating funders um, the credit that they recognized the necessity of it and their willingness to be vulnerable um, and to bring that humility to the process has really made it what it is so far. You know, I, when I talked earlier about um, the, the listening tour that we did as a foundation staff to talk to, found, to nonprofits to understand what they needed in order to be able to collaborate, you know, we really took that to heart. And, and, and so when we started thinking about funder collaboration, we really just sort of recognized that it was, it, was, it was actually pretty similar. I mean, obviously, foundations have way more resources than nonprofit organizations. But especially small foundations have, you know, the staffs are pretty, pretty busy all the time. Everybody has a lot to do. And collaboration takes a ton of work. Um, it takes a ton of work. You know, our grantees told us this. It takes a lot of work because you... It's, it's, um, there's, you know, there's just the scheduling, there's just sort of like the administrative elements of it, but then there's just the trust building. And so trust building is one of those things that it's like, you're, you're, it's taking your time and you can't really point to a specific output. So like when you think of your work plan, you know, building trust, you know, where does that fit in the work plan? You know, you can't really have deliverables on that. So I think what we, um, have really focused on and it's really, you know, it kind of sits within my job here at the foundation is like, how do we play that connector role? You know, the way that we saw some nonprofits who would like a, a particular nonprofit that was maybe in a little bit had more capacity would say, Hey, you know what? We will be responsible for creating the, the monthly agenda and sending out the, the meeting invite. And, you know, we'll, we'll follow up to make sure everybody got it and yes. Okay. And, and and whoever's not clear, you know, we'll meet with them individually to make sure they understand, you know, that glue is really what makes partnership and collaboration possible. And, and I think that that's really the role that we've played. You know, we, we carried a little bit of vision um, into it, but then from there, it's really just been about like, how can we be the organizer? How can we sort of be the community organizer in a community of, of, of foundations here in New Mexico? And I think that that's been, the biggest role and a lot of my time has been dedicated to it. So 
you know, the, the question for a small foundation, well, is that worth, you know, a four full-time employees having one of your full-time employees spend the vast majority of his time on funder collaboration and connecting the dots and being the glue. But when we go through and we look at the numbers and with this Native American Recovery Fund, and we can show our board how, you know, the gifts that they have put into the fund are now being leveraged, you know, 3x, 4x, 5x, and some of that by really big national foundations that otherwise wouldn't have put this money in New Mexico. Um, it's a it's a really compelling story. And it's it's something that a small foundation can do and sort of play that role um, without you know too much disruption. The the interesting thing for us about this structure, this zone grant structure, is that it's it's it really is a different way for funders to collaborate. So there is, there are usually like these funder affinity groups um, that a lot of us participate in, you know, like I participate in the asset funders network, which is focused on family asset building. And then I participate on the ag funders group here in New Mexico, which is focused on local ag. And, you know, I think those are useful groups. You know, you get together once a month and you sort of catch up on grants that you've made and things like that. Um, but it, but those groups are technically kind of difficult to actualize into grant making, you know, collaboratively. Sometimes it happens, but in my career, and I've been doing this for about 10 years, it hasn't happened very much. So what this structure does, is it turns it on its head because the collaboration is about the funding. You're coming together to fund together um, and you have the trust and the faith that the grants are going to be aligned with your priorities as a foundation. Um, and so what that meant was that we were able to actually look at some of these affinity groups and connect them to the structure. So I talked about the strategy tables. So like this, we had a strategy table around family economic security. So rather than just sort of starting from scratch, we went to the New Mexico Asset Funders Network, which is a group of funders that are interested in family economic security. And we said, would this table, would this group like to participate on this strategy table. So we were able to draw that local chapter of a national funders network to participate. They partnered with the indigenous leaders to make decisions and do these things. And what that did though, was it connected us to a national network of funders that were interested. And so that was how we got the Wells Fargo Foundation involved. That's how we got the Bank of America Foundation involved. They're members of the asset funders network. And through that network, we connected to it. Similar stories happened in the Ag Funders Group and in the um, Water Resilience Group. So I think when you think of structures like this, it's not just about centering community voice for this thing, but it's also, also creating on-ramps for existing funder collaboratives to then connect to it. We are place-based. We're funding in this place and we've, all of our staff are from here. And many of us are multi-generation here. So we, we have a different relationship with this place. And, and we are able to leverage those relationships and that sort of context to do this and basically create a more rational on-ramp for national funders who want to fund here, but, may, but obviously don't have the ability to have staff here full-time. So yeah, I, I think that that's a, a key value that we bring to the, to the table. 
Thanks to Henry Rael for joining us. To learn more about the work of Henry and the McCune Foundation, visit the Catalytic Podcast website. Look for new Catalytic Podcasts each month. Meet more creative funders. Benji Rue does the audio engineering and mixing. Our website is by Kwok Lee. Our music is by O Future. The Catalytic Podcast is made possible by grants from two exponent members, the 1772 Foundation and the Blackstone Ranch Institute. I'm your producer and host, Andy Carroll. Thanks for listening. Join us next time.